Hello, my name is Brian Martin, and you are listening to episode 21 of the Running Technique Tips podcast. We're actually going to deviate slightly from our normal format today. Uh, Lisa and I are effectively taking a well-earned week off. Um, Lisa's enjoying uh, a bit of a post-New York Marathon holiday, um, and I'm continuing to enjoy a little break from all things running. So what we've got for you this week is uh, an interview that I recorded with running physiotherapist Kevin Liebethal last week. Um, Kevin is a physiotherapist that specialises um, in running, uh, does a lot of work in uh, gait retraining and uh, gait analysis, um, as well as um, being a physiotherapist uh, who is well and truly on top of all of the major running injuries and niggles that we tend to suffer as running. So, yeah, we had a, a good chat, Kevin and I, together um, last week. So we're going to bring that to you now. We mainly cover um, the topic of ITB syndrome, which we brought up um, a couple of episodes ago. Um, and that one, I guess, is timely because Lisa and I both did suffer from a little bit of ITB syndro th syndrome throughout the course of our marathon build-ups. Um, we tangented, tangented uh, a little bit during the conversation into some other topics like marathon recovery and um, heat stress and, and scheduling multiple marathons within a year. So um, I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Kevin again after this. And I'm now joined by Kevin Leverthal from Physio at Central Park in Malvern East. How are you going, Kevin? I'm, uh, I'm good, mate. That's good. That's good. And thanks for coming back onto the Running Technique Tips podcast. Uh, I got some really good feedback from um, when you appeared in episode 14 to talk about old man calf injury uh, and management. People were, um, yeah, really appreciative of the advice and they really loved your enthusiasm for all things running. So thanks very much for that. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on again. No worries. Um, look, this, this um, topic of iliotibial band syndrome is something that we've been tossing around on and off throughout the podcast as Lisa and I have kind of struggled with a little bit of that kind of lateral knee pain. Um, so in the episode prior to last, um, we that was episode 19, we were kicking around our own thoughts about causes and rehab and how to manage it and prevent it. But we thought it'd be uh, much better to actually get an, a proper expert on the subject on, i.e. you, um, to let, tell us a little bit about what in fact is going on with this whole ITB thing. So maybe we could just start with what it actually is so, and so are, we, are we calling it the right thing? Yeah, so it, it, it historically had been called ITB friction syndrome where we kind of had this perception that the, um, the ITB was flicking forwards and backwards and rubbing over a, a, uh, a bony tubercle just on the outside of the knee there and that was what was provoking the pain. But what, what it appears more so to be is almost more so a compression through that region rather than the true friction um, and that's where the changing in term where it's now more described as ITV syndrome rather than the old term ITV friction syndrome. That's that sounds like it makes a lot more sense to me. Um, yeah, I can, I can imagine friction 
um, potentially being a cause of all that agony, but um, yeah, pressure or you know, yeah, so even... it's, it's like a direct yeah. So that compressive element um, on the outside of the knee that seems to be um, um, quite provocative, and then um, it, it's one that I must say I fortunately have not had issues with. <laughs> Lucky it's, you. Uh, um, it's certainly one of those injuries that pops up, and um, I. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I, uh, I did have um, a patient who it flared up literally a week and a half out, two weeks out of Melbourne, and uh, yeah, it can be a pretty nasty and untimely type of injury that um, can, uh, can unfortunately be pretty disruptive um, to one's marathon. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I've, I'm, despite having a bad marathon, I did manage to stave off my ITV issues. Um, however, Lisa wasn't quite so fortunate. She had a, a yeah, she had to really dial back her um, taper um, in the lead up to New York that she's just ran. Um, and she she's run just under three hours 15, which is amazing time, but she would have gone um, quite a bit faster than that if her ITV-related knee pain hadn't kind of flared up at 36K. So, yeah, she was pretty much reduced to um, very slow shuffling from there to the finish. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah, and, and one of, it's one of those injuries that when it comes on, it's, it doesn't tend to get better. Um, unfortunately, anything, it will kick in and often get worse and worse as you do continue to run. Yeah, so just sort of... Diving a little bit further down into the cause, so um, what, I reckon, what, I'd say probably the biggest cause is too much too. So it's it's one of those really um, uh, one of those injuries that quite classically um, comes up with with overload. So whether it be someone who's maybe not quite ready for the mileage that they're doing, or they've increased their mileage too quickly, that that tissue just tends to get quite um, irritated and um, and then obviously you, you start um, suffering a fair amount of pain um, once that occurs. So I reckon um, that's probably one of the biggest drivers behind um, developing the, um, the problem. Load. This load is the enemy. <laughs> yes. And there's, so there's other things that certainly um, um, contribute to it and, and the like. I mean, uh, you, you can certainly start to look at whether someone's suddenly been running on a camber, um, where the the roads angle down for prolonged periods um, in one direction, or from a footwear side of things, um, particularly if um, a pair of shoe deteriorates on the lateral surface of the outside of the shoes, pretty compressed, and um, someone's been trying to get a few extra. 100Ks out of a pair of shoes that they should have turfed some time ago can also be a contributing factor. Um, so those those are elements that um, can certainly contribute to it as well. I, I like the Canberra idea actually because I, I don't know about you, but I always tend to run on the um, on the right hand side of the road, so I'm running towards traffic, and often that if you especially when you're on country roads, yeah. you can be sitting right in the camber. Yeah. So so that's I'm. Um, so I try and I get down and, um, and do a little bit of running um, down the coast as well and also I'll run towards traffic and and tr- I actually try my best to almost run it. It's, it's always one of those tricky ones, um, but try and run as close to the middle of the road as possible just to minimise the amount of camber you're dealing with. So um, that's, that's one element that can catch people out. Yep. 
Absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, I need to re-examine the way, what I've been doing there. I think I need to get in the middle of the road a little bit more because it's, yeah, it's, it's always my right side, the one that's dropping down further that gives me the grief. Yeah. So, um, but obviously cars are, uh, are more of a problem than your ITVs. <laughs> they, they are. They're an immovable object. <laughs> so, so as long as you're looking after that side of things, then, uh, then that's the most important thing. I like it. I like it. And um, look, I, I've... Uh, when I was um, doing the research for the the running technique book, um, there was a lot of stuff in there about the benefits of strength training and you know making sure you're working on your glutes and stability yeah. around your hips as being like yeah. so, you know, basically the you know a biomechanical issue of you know your knee kind of collapsing underneath you could put more strain on that area. Yeah, the uh, the other thing from a biomechanical variant is when you run with a more adducted leg. So when I talk about that, it's more where your leg starts to cross the midline. Yeah. So that's another one that uh, people need to be mindful of. If you're having chronic ongoing issues, if your leg's crossing the midline, um, that can um, potentially contribute to it. So the, the question is, is, is it going to be um, more beneficial to spend truckloads of time building up strength through your your hip abductors glute max really trying to get some great strength to um, cope with that extra adduction or then the other stream of even trying to do some gait retraining where you 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 start trying to do some running where you use lines where you're not crossing the midline though the only tricky thing and i remember um, a number of years ago working with someone who um it's actually a really nice um, um, case study where he had had an ITB release, unfortunately still had ongoing issues, and we literally had him working just trying to run with a slight, slightly wider stance, and yep. he got great, great results. However, through the, the transitioning process of that, um, he started doing a little bit of uh, a cowboy running where he had gone too wide, um, so it was kind of that element of um, um, not – not going um, excessively wide with his stance and bringing it back in a little bit. And uh, for him, he went from struggling to run um, eight Ks, which was his commute to and from work, to ultimately yep. being able to, um, I'm pretty sure he got through an Ironman um, event down the track by um, making that uh, that change. I like it. And the kind of sort of spacing I, I'm kind of imagining that you're talking about is like placing your foot on the edges of a, a line on the, on the running track. So about that kind of thickness. Yeah, so. and, and the thing is that it, it, you're not going to spend all your time doing that. That's just to try and get the sense of having that, that, um, that width. And there's always that challenge of overdoing it as well. And that's yep. from an assessment perspective from my end is if you, if you flag it and you go, you know what, this – from my end, I suspect might be a contributing factor. Um, you can then introduce an intervention and then monitor that because you might introduce that and you might be working on it, but actually might not change. Or you introduce it and then you get people actually overdo it. So it's always good to make sure that um, you're not changing things too much because that's always a risk whenever you do anything from an alteration of gait is that you start also switching um load onto other structures and then yes you solve one problem but you potentially create another i 100 percent agree with that having uh, uh injured myself a number of times when i was experimenting with my running technique <laughs> it's if you go too far or do something too differently and then you know obviously people tend to jump into it and do too much so if you are making those kind of check gate changes you've got to do them really slowly and reduce your volume yeah, yeah. but 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 definitely from a, a going back to the glute strength and so things i think 
I mean, for me, calf strength, which we spoke about last time, is really, really important. Um, and and I'd be um, I'd also be biasing strength work to um, to glutes, but um, and obviously from a, a problem like this, um, glute strength work becomes um, of, of great importance. But I think it's also important to consider everything in the chain. Where you might find someone who's got a, they might be having a pretty well, even if you tried hopping and you you look at you, you hop and go, geez. Actually, struggling to hop because you've got a pretty ordinary calf. You kind of go, well, you know what? Yes, you need to improve your glute strength, but you actually might just be globally weak. So, for them, it actually might be important to consider a global strength program rather than just getting so pigeonhole focused on glutes, which I think um, industry and and people kind of fall into the trap where it's just become very, very glute centric. Yep. I, I hear that. And what about um, some of those big compound exercises, though? Because they kind of work that entire. Um, I think comp- compound exercises. Compound ex- so when you're saying compound exercise, I'm assuming you're looking like just as a, a quick example. I'm not sure yep. which. Just so we know we're on the same page. With it, what what exercise is an example? Uh, either something like squats or deadlifts. Yep. Yeah, listen, I, 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 that's why I, I assume you were going on um, when, when we discussed those. Um, it's really important to, to have those as part. Um, but sometimes I think we, we kind of um, um, have gotten to isolate as well. And I think um, it's really important to combine both those compound exercises as well as um, doing sometimes a more isolated exercise in conjunction. I would always be cautious in only doing one, as in only doing isolated or only doing compound. My, the reason why I say that is if you're doing a compound exercise and you've got a deficit in a particular muscle, you'll find the other muscles will probably just kick in and work around it as well. So um, that's where I, I, I think it's important to look at addressing both. Yep, I like the sound of that. Cover all bases. Yeah. Righto. Well, what about um, if we were – kind of sort of straying into um, uh, kind of like ongoing prevention. But if you've got that pain, how are you going to try and rehab it and potentially manage it and try and get yourself back running again? What's the, What sort of strategies would you normally advise to people? Okay, so from a, a run low perspective, I mean, there's always that element of, for me, I'm always trying to keep people running. Um, so if I'm able to keep them and this is a tricky one because for some people running a little bit faster feels more comfortable than running slower. So yeah. um, it's, it's that element to um, almost work with the, the runner to work out, well, what is going to be able to allow them to keep running? Because also this, as long as you're not making the condition worse and worse with the running you're doing, you're still giving your body that positive stimulus from, from running and that running stress. Um, so obviously trying to get that baseline is a really important to, thing to try and establish. Uh, then I would also be certainly introducing a, um, a lowering strength program and certainly in the early timelines would probably be um, glute biased um, to try and address um, those aspects. Um, soft tissue work, particularly through, um, so if, if you look at the anatomy of your, um, your ITB now, ITB is a pretty thick structure. So gone are the days, and and listen, there are still people who try and stretch it, but it's it's thick and it's tight. So to actually go and 
truly stretch out your ITV, I'd be questioning whether that actually is maybe more provocative than helpful. Yep. Um, soft tissue work through TFL, through glutes, loosening those proximal um, components can be really effective. And often you're going to find someone's, when you're getting that lateral pain, you're going to have increased tone tension through your, your quads, your vastus lateralis. So um, often doing some soft tissue work through through there can also be, um, can be quite helpful. For people to independently manage it, um, doing some trigger point work, whether it be with um, there's, um, spiky balls or, or cricket balls or hockey balls or anything that you can get into release, your TFL, glutes, um, I think are, are really good strategies to, to use. Um, foam rolling is an interesting one because um, I know a lot of people will probably get a little bit overexcited with trying to um, roll heavily through their ITV. And I think as you start to put tension on that, I think, I think that's I think that's what Lisa did. She was just overexcitedly foam rolled herself. Yeah, like, like I, I would be. I mean, if one's rolling, you can certainly roll through your, your, more through the the. Through the front, a little bit to the side, but I'm always mindful and sort of cautious in overdoing it on that lateral side. And I think sometimes people sometimes stir themselves up a little bit. I don't know um, if Lisa, um, what she might report on that side of things, whether um, whether she found it was more provocative or whether it, um, if it if it helped. I mean, if some some people are- I, I think she would agree with you. I think she found it it stirred things up more so she was yeah. quite cautious cautious on the foam rolling and was getting a bit more relief from kind of stretching and probably doing a bit of that trigger point stuff yeah. with a and, spiky and, ball you know, some people also um respond really well to dry needling um, yep. i tend to find there's almost these two kind of groups where some people respond really really when i say two groups it's there are some people who respond really well some people respond a bit and some people don't respond as well um so i think if you're someone who responds well, well, then that's a, that's a, that's a great tool to, um, to have. Um, but it's not a uh, – not, I remember having seen someone years ago who came in and, and all he had had from a treatment perspective was needling. That was it. And that, that's not enough. So yep. whilst I think it's certainly an adjunct, it's, to me it's not the only um, thing to use, which, which sometimes I think some people kind of – Jump to is the, the the fix. Yep, it's a bit like the strength training. You got to try and cover all bases. Mm. Yep, I like it. Um, and uh, my my brother, um, he's a bit like me. Kind of his ITB kind of mostly flared up actually after the marathon. Yep. Um, and his physio um, prescribed him these kind of like isometric squat holds. Yeah. Um, have you heard of that? Not, not so much for ITB. I mean, the thing is, mm. if you are loading up and not in that 30-degree position for an extended period, so when I say 30 degrees, and these are 30 degrees, which is where the compression is most likely to, to occur. Yep. I mean, I, I would question, so when he was doing squat holds, was he doing it like at 90 degrees, so that 90-90 type position? Yeah, it was... Basically, ninety degree, roughly, so thigh almost parallel to the ground. Okay, yeah, it's it's not something that I've used um, a heap of, and and yeah, it's not one that I've um, personally um, delved into on that front. But okay, 
Yeah. So. No, good to know. I hadn't heard of that one myself. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah. but you know, it, it sometimes for like if you have a means to apply load through that tissue and it's um, having a positive response on pain and it's not stirring it up and we know in that position there he's, he's going to be providing a, a strength stimulus. Yep. Well, I mean, for me, that's, I wouldn't be, it's not something that I'd be sitting there going, geez, that sounds something that I wouldn't do. I think that's, it's pretty sound in applying a stimulus and a load through that tissue there. Um, as long as it's not provocative of the symptoms. And I think any time you can add stimulus or load, um, it's going to be of um, a benefit down the track or a part of the, um, um, I'll say part of the solution, but contributing to um, helping that endpoint of getting back to loading from a running perspective without uh, continually provoking symptoms. Yep. So can I, I just use my can I use myself as a an example for a moment just in terms of a more acute scenario. So yeah. af, after the marathon last year, I tried to start running again after having two weeks off, and I just noticed straight away that I'd had um, this knee pain um, come 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 along, and I did a few things to try and manage it and resolve it, but I probably didn't do the greatest rehab, um, but. Ultimately, kind of what seemed to just let it settle down was actually rest. Like, in, under what circumstances would you kind of, like, I'm with you, uh, keeping people running seems to be really good, but sometimes it just might be so acute that you need some time out. Yep. When, when, when would you recommend that to people? Well, if, if we're looking at, um, so from a, a loading um, um, platform, if you're looking at building up and slowly increasing load, um, if every time you start to um, increase your running load, it just flares up and it gets quite sore, quite acute without a huge amount of stimulus. And I'll, I can probably turn the question to you and ask you how much running would, would it take to actually provoke your symptoms? Um, and if it's not a great deal or when you do a small amount of running, it is really, really sore afterwards, sometimes you just need to give it a rest. and. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, it's one of those tricky ones where it, it's sometimes hard to give an exact timeline as to how much rest um, you do need. I mean, but sometimes some people do need a number of weeks to just let the irritated tissue settle down before you re-engage with um, loading. But it's also probably in that timeline where it becomes um, worthwhile to spend the time doing all the other work. So, for example, sake, if you know, okay, well, this is the, the problem that's come up, well, certainly when it comes to ITV issues, um, you can use that time off from running to actually develop a, um, a strength program. So I think for me, an injury like that is, is often an opportunity to go, well, hang on a sec, um, maybe I can spend the time concentrating on, on the deficit I have. Um, so that's where I would, in that particular period of time, where you, if you drop off your, your running load, you've really got to make sure you, you take advantage of that time to do a, a really um, even start to develop a strength program because then you're not having to try and juggle how your body's responding to a strength program with an existing running load. I like the way you're thinking, Kevin. That's exactly what I should have done, but um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. Though I was feeling very lazy after the marathon last year, yeah, so you know I just... sometimes I think it's also good just to take a bit of a break. I mean, we 
we, we it's it's one of those interesting things, and I. Uh, I'd be interested to know your perspective on this side of things, and I'll probably take going off a little bit, top, going off topic a little bit. But when we're we're absolutely, we've been working solidly for periods of time, you kind of sit there and you go, "Geez, I desperately need a break. I need a break from work." So you, you switch off from work for two or three weeks and so forth. But from a running perspective, we often just keep just keep grinding and grinding and grinding, and often don't give our bodies that opportunity to have a rest. And I think it's it's four letters that most runners. Absolutely despise you. <laughs> it's a four-letter word for runners. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, look, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a swear word amongst runners, but it is. And look, yeah, we were kind of before we started recording, we were chatting about this because I'd planned, no matter how my marathon went, to have four weeks off. So I'm nearly three and a half weeks into rest after the marathon at the moment. But um, yeah, and, and, and that's why I just turned back because I'm I'm quite interested when you said that post-marathon. Um, you um last year you were sore after a couple of weeks of routines for running and you then had to um lay off how much running did it take before you started to experience that itv it wasn't much i reckon it was because yeah I, i'm trying to think remember exactly but probably a couple of kilometers which yeah, is it's, not it's very much correct so that's and that's and that's where there's certain injuries and, and this is and, and I mean, there, there might be other people who've got different platforms with regards to their return to run. Um, but if I look at managing a tendon per se, the, the, the tendons have a 24-hour type behaviour, even up to 48 hours. So whilst um, um, I'm also obviously worried whether there's pain during running, I'm also really keeping an eye out on what happens over the next 24 to 48 hours because sometimes um, you can run and be relatively pain-free when you run, but the next day you are really, really sore, and, and it's it, it, it's that's the, the the injury that's often really hard to manage. Whereas sometimes you can run, and you might have a a, a a grading of two to three out of ten pain during your run, but then the next day it's no worse, and mm. that's a stable. Um, injury where it's not kind of spiking and, and you're not really worrying too much about that next day because you're actually told you what your tendon's kind of saying is it tolerated the low that you gave whilst it's irritated it's it's tolerating it whereas the one who is not sore during but then really sore after is a real tricky one whereas when you find with itb issues it's very much as soon as it starts getting sore stop you you it's it's not it's not one of those injuries that seems to respond well to just cons- consistently loading and loading and loading it um, and then you kind of wait and see how you respond afterwards because once it's once you've irritated you just keep running it just keeps um, irritating it further and further um, you just get sore and sore so that's where I'll often with a return to run um, plan as I'm building up someone's running load when it comes if I'm, I'm giving someone an instruction or a plan for a tendon as opposed to an ITVs if they, if they start having some symptoms with a tendon issue, I'm actually often more worried about the next day as well as a series of hopping tests that I might have given them um, to monitor how they pull up from low. Whereas with an ITB, if they start, because more often than not, they'll start pain-free and as they keep running, yep, feeling good, yep, feeling good, or oh, no, starting to get sore, mm. where I'll put the line in the sand. So even if it might be, let's call it um, two-minute, they might be have built up to doing reps of two-minute runs and my aim might be 10 by two minute runs with a minute walk and they get to that eighth 
two-minute block and they go, geez, I'm starting to feel something. For me, that's okay, stop. Next yep. run, let's aim to see if we can get nine. Next run. And once you're hitting 10 by two minutes, no symptoms, no issues, all right, now we can look at moving on to the next one. So it's about building up that low tolerance but, but, um, but making sure, obviously, that they pull up well and that the next run they don't start and they are suddenly sore for having done the previous run. So, yeah, so that's, that's where I often find with the, 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 um, the ITB um, syndromes. It's about building it up and being mindful not to stir it up too much as well. Yep, I, th- I think that's definitely been my experience of having little flare-ups of that over the years is that it doesn't get better if you keep running. So um, you've got to really listen to your body there and um, respect what's going on because, yeah, if you don't, it can become chronic pretty quickly. So, well, what look, why don't we toss around this um, notion of how long you should have off after running a marathon because I reckon that's a that's an interesting topic and a lot of people would um, kind of uh, – pull up sore or might have picked up some niggles and whatnot. So so for me, it kind of just makes sense to to schedule in a longer break after the marathon, A, to freshen yourself up mentally and physically, but B, if you, it's a bit of insurance for if you have picked up some of this overuse type um, overload injury during the race just gives everything a chance to kind of kind of heal up. So, so I'm kind of going on the four week philosophy. I, I think that's. I, I had a, I had a running coach years ago give me an interesting timeline, and 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 it's it, I suppose it fits in nicely for that ten to ten k distances, and where it slots in is that it's I can't, I can't remember who it was, but he suggested that. The number of miles you run, um, you should have that many days off from solid training. So if you look at the marathon being 26 miles, it's pretty close to four weeks being 26 days. I love that. That's a good ready reckoner, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever come across that reckoner. I haven't. That suggestion, but then you look at the half marathon and you can sit there and go, well, two weeks, that kind of fits in and makes sense. And in Kaya, um, a week that you you pull things back. So, um, I mean, those are those are, I suppose, fairly generalised numbers. Um, but then you look back, you look at, it and you go, well, do you need does do you need four weeks of complete rest? So I, I'm I'm probably more of the bias on somewhat um, of a, an active recovery. So it's not. Um, through that period of time where you have off. And, again, it's going to be very different for, for different people. I mean, some people love and, and certainly feel better for just getting going at even, albeit small amounts, they'll try and get running the day after. And even if it's just getting out and turning the legs over um, for 15 minutes just to get moving and throughout the week they might do just some small runs and then gradually do more and more. Other people I know will, will bounce back um, a lot quicker. Others um, just need the the mental break from um, from doing it. And again, there's going to be such. I would be so cautious to give it a general rule because the amount of recovery and time from your your weekend warrior marathoner to your your your, your club runner to your, your your top level club runner to your sub elite to your elites, it's all going to be very very different. So. Um, yeah, I, I would be very cautious in giving a a, um, a strict um, a strict rule across the board. But 
I think we do underestimate the um, the importance in that in that recovery from a from an event like that, especially if you if you have a red hot crack and you walk away going, oh, I'm absolutely spent. I've put everything um, on the line. Um, there's no way I could have gone any faster, or um, you may have blown at 38 k's or or, or, or whatever. Um, I think we um, might underestimate the overload in our body in that event. And I, I think there's always that um, excitement once you've, once you've done the run or, or even for some people who maybe don't perform as well as they do, is that bit of, um, bit of anger afterwards where you come yes. in the, rede- the, redemp- the redemption mindset. Yeah, oh, it's the running angry where you, you really kind of um, throwing yourself back in and, and those are the guys who um, might 10 weeks, 12 weeks post-marathon just fall in a bit of a heat because just haven't given themselves adequate recovery um, following the marathon to, to then go in. And this is where sometimes when you even look at the scheduling of, of marathons throughout the year, um, of just allowing adequate time between marathons to give yourself enough preparation for the next. So I mean, even a, an example in Australia where you look at Gold Coast being July and then Melbourne being October, once you've recovered from Gold Coast, there's not a big window of time to then back up to have a red hot crack at Melbourne. Uh, yeah, I reckon the Canberra Marathon, Melbourne Marathon that, double is more doable because Canberra's that, in April. Well, I've, I'm, that's exactly what I'm planning on doing next year is on Me too. Canberra and it's also likely to be a cooler day yes. and I've, um, I've already started putting some uh, some things in place to um, to line up that because it's, it's actually a really good timeline difference um, between the two the two events and um, I, I think uh, people just need to be mindful of allowing adequate um, time uh, between those now I mean on the other on the other side I mean there's if you're out there running big distances and big volumes and you've conditioned your body to do so and you're doing more frequent marathons but you're not out there trying to smash PVs and trying to um, really push your body pretty hard the body's pretty capable of tolerating doing these distances on a more frequent basis but there's a difference between going to do a marathon as a training run which I know it sounds a bit strange me saying as a training run because uh, um, there are uh, quite a few of us out there who've gone and done bigger bigger runs. So it's really nice to schedule these in because going and doing marathons or, or further just by yourself is not necessarily the, uh, the most amount of fun. Um, but if you're going out there and doing more frequent marathons or uh, doing events like um, the roller coaster um, or two days or like, and you're not out there beating yourself up to try and set a PB or um, pushing the limits for every event, well, you can actually tolerate a fair amount of loading, but obviously still being mindful that you, you do need to give yourself a um, recovery after some of these bigger events if, if they are something that your body is not used to doing. Yeah, I like that. And it does make sense to me, the idea of doing the marathon as a training run um, or doing it as a much more sub-maximal type effort. And I think that's what I'm actually going to do in Canberra this year is really sort of take the pressure off myself and uh, 
do one at a, a lower intensity um, and just really enjoy the experience again yeah. um, before lo- loading up again for Melbourne later in the in the year. Yeah, well, for, for, for Melbourne, for, and, and that's why I'm, I'm keen to have a red hot crack at Canberra coming off Melbourne. I mean, it was a brutal day, and um, as we mentioned before, there, I mean, there are a few absolute standout performances, but most people got cooked in that heat and the wind. So yeah, it's um, Canberra is my redemption run because. <laughs> I've got a small family holiday plan just before Melbourne, so Melbourne, Melbourne for me, I'll still do, but I'll look at having a bit of fun as opposed to uh, yep. the experience of uh, what happened this year. Yeah, I, I think we mentioned it in my uh, recap of the marathon, but uh, just yeah, congratulations on your run because you've hung on really well for was it three thirty two or three thirty three? Yeah, I was pretty yes. satisfied but still disappointed. So yeah. Um, I, I, I was pretty cooked by the end and jogged home the last six k's. I was just, I was just, I'd had enough of the heat and the wind. And yep. so, for those who um, gritted it out and, and ran some pretty impressive times, um, I'll take my hat off to them because it was, it was, it was one of the toughest days out there. And again, this is where when one looks at it, and we can go back to the recovery side of things. That don't under, I think people. Um, and runners should not underestimate the impact of a, a day like that on recovery because it was hot and windy. And we've most certainly those running in Melbourne have spent winter training for a day like that. And whilst a day like that was 27 northerly winds, it got hot early. And for the vast majority of the run, we were running in, in a climate that we weren't used to training. We weren't climatized for so the, this extra stress that heat stress places on our body i don't think anyone can take that for, for granted and um really important to allow for, for a recovery from from something like that and i wouldn't be surprised if, if people did pick up um injuries from not only the the event but the the conditions were were really really tough so um yeah it's um that's that's just something on the recovery front also to- uh, I, I agree with that and i think yeah, even if you haven't picked up an injury you don't underestimate the physiological cooking that your body has um has had because yeah you could just be um at a really deep and fundamental level have done a bit of damage that needs time to um kind of repair itself yeah that, that, that word comes up again rest <laughs> yeah the, the rest it's all good oh well there you go um well, I think we've 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 kicked around the ITB and the marathon recovery issue pretty well, Kevin. Was there anything else you wanted to add on to either topic before we kind of wrap it up? Um, just trying to think um, other key things. Probably, I'll probably jump back onto um, probably things for people to just keep in mind from a footwear perspective. Yeah. Um, I made mention of it earlier with regards to shoes deteriorating laterally, and it's one thing people just need to keep an eye on, um, especially if they where or their preferred shoe is one that's quite has a more solid medial um, posting or even they run in an orthotic de- um, device maybe for another issue but if, if that in combination with a shoe that's deteriorating laterally just something to keep a, a, an eye out for and um, I, I see it far too often where um, I mean, most most runners are, are pretty good these days at turning over shoes but I'm try and um, squeeze out too many extra k's out of a shoe that's already deteriorating 
Um, there are there are some runners out there though who can get some pretty big mileage out of shoes. So not everyone is going to turn their shoes over as readily as others. But it's an important thing to to keep a uh, an eye out for. And I know, and I'll use myself as an example of this that. 700 to 800, my shoes are, are cooked and they're ready to, to change. Some brands um, are a little bit more durable than others, but for me, again, you, you go back to the, the, the fit and the comfort of the shoe is, is often one of the more important things. It's just then making sure that the, the shoe's changed over at an appropriate um, running. Yep. And it sounds like what you're saying, that especially if you're wearing a stability shoe with that kind of more built up on the inside, that yes. if your shoe starts to get spongy and collapsing on the outside, it's going to exacerbate. And it's not, and it's not to say that that is the wrong shoe. It's just the shoe mm. has become compromised over time and you might just need to turn your shoes over at a more regular interval than someone else. So um, it's just an important thing just to keep an eye out. I like it. Well, I reckon, Kevin, we've uh, given it a good going over. Thank you very much again. That's some amazingly helpful and useful information there again for the listeners, um, not least of, and also for Lisa and myself, um, who've uh, had this ongoing battle with the little ITB monster over the course of this marathon campaign. So, yeah, thanks again for um, helping us out with all that. Probably, probably the only other thing I'll, I'll just add on, we've, we've touched on it, but probably haven't. Um, Skipped on. I don't know, um, but the one thing I find quite interesting when it comes to the strengthening, and particularly glute strengthening, um, there's a big notion on getting your glutes activating. Um, oh, it's, it's one of those things where to know whether your glutes are, are or aren't activating is something I, it just doesn't, um, yeah, it just doesn't sit on the, the, the I suppose, I wouldn't say sit well with me, but I think that the key emphasis is often in working on glute strength. Often there's, I just wonder whether people actually work and increase their strength adequately and are not actually challenging their glutes enough. So I think it's an important thing to look at building up the strength and working on that strength aspect uh, as opposed to just being focused on a, an, an activation drill. I, th- I think it's. I think you definitely need to work on the strengthening because if you haven't got it, you can't use it. So correct, correct. <laughs> yeah. and, that's, and that's. I think there's a there's just a bit of a thing on just activating glutes, and for me, it's get the muscles stronger. You, you've got to get your glutes stronger um, because even when we talk about is it activating or, or like to to truly assess or to even hypothesize that that's the issue is I don't know. I don't know how people can definitively go, oh, glutes aren't activating. Certainly go, well, glutes aren't strong enough, but you can, you can assess to get some gauge whether you've got adequate, um, adequate strength. But I think the notion of, um, of just activating probably misses a, a part. I mean, certainly I'll, I think as a, a part of a warm-up and, and leading into running, I think it's, it's great to do a variety of exercises that um, encourage um, your, your muscles to um, to be working, definitely that strength aspect to focus on. Yeah, I, I think this. I think you're right. I think the strength's really important. But I, I also do like the idea of um, getting people to practice like the appropriate movement pattern as well. Because um, if you haven't got that good 
sort of motor program kind of nailed in. Um, if you're doing some of the strength work, um, then you've got a better chance of being able to use a, a better movement pattern for one of a better way of describing it. Yeah, but that, that goes back to the, 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 probably what we were discussing earlier, where it's, you've got to cover a number of things. There is no one, one there is no silver bullet. As much as everyone chases the silver bullet, there is no silver bullet. So it's being able to tick all those boxes as effectively as possible. Uh, so that um, ultimately you you can get through and do the running you you want to do. I like it. I think that's probably the overriding theme of our conversation at the moment is um, yeah, tick all of those boxes and cover all your bases and um, you'll have a better chance of um, being successful in um, your ongoing running. It's going to say obsession, but let's <laughs> be honest, it is an obsession. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a way of life, that's what it is. It's a lifestyle. Lifestyle is a better word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Very good. Thanks again, Kevin. Um, good, I really appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kevin um, from Physio at Central Park in Melbourne East in Melbourne. Um, don't be afraid to uh, look up Kevin if you've got any running issues you need uh, checked out. Um, really in- enjoyed that conversation, particularly around uh, that interesting topic of how long you should take off after your marathon. So um, I'd be interested to hear from you, the listeners, about how long you're taking off after any marathons that you've done recently. Maybe you did Melbourne, maybe you did New York like Lisa. Yeah, maybe jump on social media, um, either Facebook or uh, Instagram or Twitter and um, let us know how long you're planning on taking off until your next marathon and also maybe how many marathons are you planning to run next year are you just doing one are you going to do two maybe you're going to do more Um, all interesting topics um, for future conversations Uh, we'll be back next week lisa and i with our usual uh, format and uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here so we'll be we'll be looking at um, our impending um, goals for our Australian summer running campaigns. Um, Lisa and I have both got some uh, running fast, faster and shorter related goals, so that'll be a nice um, uh, deviation from the uh, the marathon training that we've, we've both been doing. So looking forward to bringing you that next week. Um, we'll be back with you then. <laughs>